There's a rising sense of uncertainty and turmoil in the world and in our lives. Loss and disappointment seem endless, whether because of an unexpected diagnosis, a desperate search for a job, or our concern for the future of those we love. During heart-crushing, why-is-this-happening moments, we can feel abandoned. Has God given up on us? Is he no longer responding? Has he just left us? Join us today as we continue our series called The Always God. Life has its ups and downs. Life can be fun. Life is sometimes hectic. And life is full of choices. Welcome to Venture, the podcast that brings the biblical truth to the ventures that we face in this world and live in today. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another Venture Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Wills, lead pastor at Venture Church in Bellevue, Nebraska. And as always, we are so thankful that you have joined us today, that you have taken some time and downloaded our our episode today and uh, decided to listen to us. Because we believe that God has put you where you are at this moment for a reason and a purpose. And we are praying that God will show you what that is at this moment in time. So this is the next to last week in our series called The Always God, and I hope you have enjoyed studying how God is moving all the time and that God has not changed over time, and we can still experience him every single day in a very real way. That's our hope out of this this series. And so this week, I want to continue that, and I want us to look at how God is still pursuing. God is always pursuing. Uh, and so to start off with things, I want to ask you, how many of you are familiar with the board game Clue, right? The, the, if you guys know what I'm talking about, it's the, it's the board game um, where you have to find the, the person that uh, killed somebody, right? And, and, and so um, you have to pay attention when you're doing this, playing this game. You have to ask the right questions. You have to follow the right leads. You have to take notes and you have to take risk and you have to be aggressive because you got to be the first person to, to, to try to win this game. So, and what I love about this game is not just the mystery behind it, but the fact that the game is not over until someone has chased the killer down, also named the room in which the murder took place and discovered the weapon that was used. They have to solve three things to be able to win this game. So there's no giving up, not quitting, uh, no quitting. It's not over until what is pursued is chased down. Because somebody can guess two of them, but not get the third one right, and the game continues on. And so it's this kind of bold, aggressive, never giving up pursuit that we are going to read about today, and we're going to discover in Luke chapter 15. And in this chapter, we will find three parables that teach one big lesson. And the lesson that I I hope to to share with you today is this, that God pursues the lost. God pursues the lost. And the reason for Jesus coming to earth was to pursue, chase down, seek out, search for those who are lost and and, and and in need of him is what I want to say. And in the three of the most, or at least some of the most well-known parables and scriptures, Jesus vividly illustrates for us what this pursuit of the lost looks like. Now, before we get into our text, let's talk about what we mean when we use the term lost. Because most of us know what it means to be lost or to lose something of value to us. 
And, and so I did a little research, and the average American spends 2.5 days each year, or if you break it down, 60 hours each year just looking for lost items. And collectively, it costs the U.S. households $2.7 billion a year in replacement costs as they search for those lost items, okay? So think about it. We lose that one sock and we look for it, right? Right, we spend time looking for it. And I guarantee you, I have personally spent 2.5 days a year or 60 hours a year looking for the remote control to the TV, right? I think we all do that. You know, the, 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 the couch just sucks it in, right? Okay. We lose our keys. We can't find them. And don't get me started on glasses, right? Those of you that have uh, glasses or sunglasses or reading glasses, right? We're always searching for, searching for those things. And if you ever see a young parent with an infant, you will know them because they will have at least three pacifiers on them at all times. Those things have legs, right? You can never find them and you do not want to go out, go out and about without a pacifier, right? And so... Now, the good thing is they actually can clip these pacifiers uh, on their clothes, and now they've got them attached to you know stuffed animals and everything, too, so you can see them right away. So it makes it a little easier. But, but we all know what, it's, what it is to lose something or to be lost, you know, right? Luckily, with cell phones and GPS, we don't have that problem as much anymore. But, but nothing can be as hopeless or as frustrating as losing something important to you or being lost and not knowing how to get where you need to be. Well, Jesus takes this word lost and he applies it to describe those who are not in a relationship with him. And this word lost that he uses, it's defined as a much stronger way in the original language of the Bible than our definition of lost today. It actually, it's actually a word that means the state of being ruined. It means utterly destroyed, totally decimated. It's the same word found in John 3.16 that most of us have heard. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish. That word perish uh, is the same word as lost, to be wasted away. Okay, And then it goes on to say, but have eternal life. Lost is a good word to describe those who do not know Jesus. The Bible actually refers to those who do not know Jesus elsewhere in Scripture as being hostile to God in Romans 8.7. Being separated from him, having no hope, Ephesians 2.12. Being in a domain of darkness, in Colossians 1.13. Understand what is being communicated, okay? When we say God pursues the lost, okay, understand what, what we're saying here. What we are saying is he pursues these types of people. Those who are perishing, those who are wasting their lives away, those who are in a state of being ruined, decimated by the enemy, and those who are lost, okay? This is who God pursues, and this is exactly why Jesus tells us these parables to a bunch of religious leaders gathered around him that day. That's, that's the context we're in. And as he's describing to these, to these leaders, Jesus is blowing up their idea of what they think they know about God, okay? So our text for today is Luke 15, and we're going to start with verse 1, okay? All right, uh, verses 1 through 3. So here's, here's how it reads. I'm reading from the NIV again. Now, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then Jesus told them this parable. Let's pause there before we get to the actual parables. Okay. 
First thing I want to point out in verse one, it says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. And what we need to understand from, from this is that they drew near to him because they were comfortable around him. He didn't pass judgment on them. He didn't look down on them. He spoke to them in a way that they could understand. He showed them love, care, and concern. So I have a practical question for us to answer, and we'll come back to this at the very end of today's message. But, but I wonder if those that are lost, those that are sinners, feel as comfortable and as loved around me and you as they did around Jesus, right? Do they feel the same way as they would around Jesus as they do around us? It's just something for us to consider and think about. The second thing I want to point out is never in a million years did the religious leaders view God as a God that pursued those who were lost, okay? As a God who sought after those who were not seeking him, okay? They always thought that you had to go after God, that God is never going to chase you down, okay? Because that would be beneath him. That's what they believed. So let's get back to our reading and look at the first parable. It's about the lost sheep. Luke 15, 4 through 7. Suppose, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joy, joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who rep repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So here we have one little sheep that was lost, in danger, and is on his way to destruction. Now, do you know who the sheep represents? If you don't, it's me and you. Because it says in Isaiah 53, 6, we all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And then you have the shepherd, and we know who the shepherd is, I hope, right? It's, it's Jesus, and Jesus referred to himself as the good shepherd in John 10. We've talked about that a little bit in the past. This good shepherd leaves his 99 sheep to go and search for the one lost sheep and searches until he finds it, and when he finds it, there's a celebration and rejoicing, all right? So let's read on to the next parable of the lost coin this time. It's verses 8 through 10, still in Luke chapter 15. It says, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And see, what we need to understand that this coin is of great value. It represented a day's worth of wages. And so this woman puts everything on hold until she finds this coin. She lights a lamp, sweeps the house. She seeks diligently, right? Nothing else gets on her agenda until what is lost is found. And once she finds it, once it's tracked down, once the pursuit is over, what follows? More celebration and rejoicing, right? And so then we have the third parable. And the third parable is the lost son, or the prodigal son, as some of you might know. Now, we don't have time to read the whole parable today, but, but most of you are familiar with the story, right? It's a young, immature son that goes to his father, and he requests his share of the estate. And as you are probably aware, in the time of the Bible, this is equivalent of a son saying to his father, you are dead to me. 
because it was only at the father's physical death that the son would have received his inheritance. But the father, while brokenhearted, allows his son the freedom to make the decision, and he hands him over his portion of the estate. And the Bible tells us that the son went out into a far country. He wanted to be as far away from home as possible. And there he squandered his property. He wasted his inheritance in reckless living. It was soon after that that he had to hire himself out as a servant and take a job feeding pigs. Now, remember who this, who Jesus is telling this parable to, right? Remember, it was a bunch of Jewish leaders. So can you imagine anything lower for a Jewish man than feeding pigs, right? Because the pigs for them were lower than lowest of low. There is nothing lower than a pig, okay? No one can tell a story like Jesus, right? He's getting right down to the understanding of what this means. And no doubt the religious leaders of the day were thinking that this kid is getting exactly what he deserved because to them he was just a rebellious kid that was reaping what he sowed. And no doubt he was. And he was absolutely miserable. In fact, let's look at what is said. Okay, We're still in Luke chapter 15. Now we're in verses 16 through 24. And we're in the middle of the, the lost son. Here's what it says. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants, uh, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. What a picture, right? What an image, right? And, and you know, it, it, even if you're not a sappy person, you know what image comes to my mind, right? We have here a father running to hug and welcome his lost son home. It reminds me of those, those, those pictures and videos we see of, of the parents that are away in, in in some you know some foreign country in the military and they've been gone for two three years or whatever and they finally get to come home and they surprise their son and daughter right or or a mom and a dad and, and they just run to each other and hug each other and it doesn't matter how uh, manly man you are or or you know whatever you find not sappy or sappy that that just almost brings everybody um, you know, to, to have a tear in their eye, right? That's a wonderful picture, right? And when I see this, this father in the, in the scripture running to hug his lost son, right? That to me, and what it means is in, in scripture, what Jesus is trying to share, it's a picture of God, not only running towards the wayward and lost, but embracing them, right? And listen, God is still running after and pursuing the lost today.
Let me say that again. God is still running after and pursuing the lost today. See, I, I, I read these three parables, and there's something that sticks out to me about them. The big idea for today's podcast was God pursues the lost, right? I shared that earlier. But after reading and studying Luke 15 over the last week or so, I wanted to add a few more words to our big point, and that is this, okay? God pursues the one that is lost. God pursues the one that is lost. Because did you notice the word one in the, in the parables that, that I just read to you? If you didn't, I think you were probably focused on the word lost, right? Because that's what we've been talking about. But there's another word that's repeated over and over again, and it's the word one. And this is what I call the value of one. In Luke 15, 4 and 7, it said, Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And he goes on, he says, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And then in verses 8 through 10, it says, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I've found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The father, while he had two sons, it was the one that was lost in a far country that he grieved after and ran towards. The infinite value of one. One. You see, you see the value in the, the searching that takes place, the, the leaving the 99, the turning the house upside down. You see this value in the celebration that, in, that ensues, right? He picks up the sheep and puts it on his shoulders. The woman calls her friends and, and says, rejoice with me. The father throws a party, putting the best robe on his son, a ring on his finger, shoes on his feet. You, you can't read these parables without the value of that which is lost coming off of the page. And you also see the clear teaching from Jesus here is that, that the loss, those outside of a relationship with him, are of great value to him. Everyone that is lost is of value to Jesus. And this is why he went on the ultimate search and rescue mission, leaving the confines of heaven and coming to earth, and in his own words states the mission of his life in Luke 19, verse 10. It says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the gospel. This is why Jesus came to earth and lived a perfect life and died for me and for you. It was the ultimate way God would show how he pursues us. It was the ultimate way God would show the lost how much they are valued, how much he loves them. Romans 5, 8 says, but God shows his love for, love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Don't buy into this idea that you don't matter, that your life isn't worth anything. That's straight from the pit of hell, right? That's straight from the pit of hell. I recently learned that suicide is up 33% over the last two decades, and it's growing. It's not getting any better. It's the second leading cause of death between those ages 10 to 34 years of age. 
Don't listen to the enemy telling you that your life is hopeless, meaningless, and that you don't have value. You matter. You matter to God and have sense before you are born. How do I know this? Listen to Psalm 139, verses 16 through 18. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Another means before I was even born. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they are more than the sand. Think of a beach. Think of all the beaches in this world. His thoughts are more than every little grain of sand on all the beaches and land that's in this world. If you've downloaded this podcast today and are not in a relationship with Jesus, that means you are listening and are lost. And God brought you here today, has you downloading this podcast, listening today as a way of pursuing you so that you could hear this message of his love and surrender your life to him. I'm, I'm here to tell you, give up going your own way. Give up doing your own thing. Give up running. Because you can't outrun the one who has been referred to as the hound of heaven. And you know what? You're like, Pastor Dan, I've never heard of that term before, hound of heaven. And I'm here to share with you today, neither have I. And so I, I did a little research and I found this illustration. And, and that's where it comes from, the hound of heaven. And I want to share with you, I don't like to share some, some older, um, you know, like illustrations that, that are hard to relate to because they, they're nothing none of us lived in or during time frame. But here's one I, I do want to share with you. I thought it was really cool. A guy named Francis Thompson was born in England in, in 1859. And he grew up wanting to become a, a writer. Uh, but his father wanted him to follow in his steps to become a, a physician. And Francis tried it for a season, but ended up leaving school and going to the big city of London to, to pursue his original dreams of being a writer. Well, while in London, he became sick, and after getting some medical treatment, he became addicted to the opium that was prescribed to him, and he became so strung out on it that it eventually led to his poverty and homelessness. His biographer noted that he would actually sleep on the banks of the river and, and sold matches to, to stay alive. You know, those... The, the strike matches that light things, right, to put fire to something. It was, one, it was at some point during the, this time that he found strength in his faith with God and, and wrote a poem that he is known for called The Hound of Heaven. He ended up dying at 47 from tuberculosis. Uh, G.K. Chesterton preached his funeral, uh, and he is famous for influencing writers J.R. Tolkien, and C.S. Lewis, and some of you might have heard those writers before. Charles Spurgeon, uh, one of the, the best um, preachers that people use and, and you know, get uh, words of wisdom from over the years, was also known to use the title of his poem, Hound of Heaven, in a lot of his sermons. Now, the poem is too long for to read today, but uh, if you want to go search it, feel free to do so. I encourage you to do that. But I do want to read a, a commentary on it that is offered by a writer named John O'Connor. And listen to what he says. The meaning is understood. 
as the hound follows the hare. In other words, a rabbit. Never ceasing in its running, ever drawing nearer in the, ca- in the chase. With unhurried and calm pace, so does God follow the fleeing soul by his divine grace. And though in sin or in human love, away from God it seeks to hide itself, divine grace follows after, tirelessly follows ever after, till the soul feels its pressure forcing it to turn to him alone in that never-ending pursuit. The never-ending pursuit. God, the hound of heaven, will chase you down and continue to pursue you with an everlasting love. To keep running from him is to keep hurting yourself. I want to encourage those of you that are lost to run no more. God loves you. The value of one, you. And guess what happens once you allow yourself to be found by God? It's a party, a celebration. All of heaven rejoices over one person that is found. Our God is always pursuing. Always. Amen. This concludes another episode of Venture Podcast. We, As always, we hope you enjoyed today's episode. And our hope is that you will return next week as we have another episode of The Always God. We're going to conclude it next week. We'll talk to you soon. If you'd like to know more about Venture Podcast and Venture Ministries, or you'd like to help support us financially, please visit us at VentureChurch.ch.